0: Hi, my name is Anita Johnson. Before we play our show, I wanted to ask you to make a donation to Making Contact. Become a part of our group of supporters who believe in the value of independent media. We can only do this work with your support. So please just take a minute, go to our website, radioproject.org, and make a generous donation. Thank you so much. Now here's the show.
1: Making. Making, contact. making contact making 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 contact
2: Today on Making Contact, we're gonna talk with the creators of the documentary film, And So I Stayed. This award-winning film tells the story of three women who survived intimate partner violence only to land in prison after defending themselves. This is known as criminalized survival.
1: And I was like, wait, like, we're putting women and survivors in prison for fighting for their own lives.
2: That's Natalie Patillo. She's a journalist, an abuse survivor, and co producer of the film. As uh, filmmakers, we're out to tell this story in a way that uh, it deserves to be told. All that coming up on Making Contact. Amy here. So before we start, I want to let you know that we are going to be talking about intimate partner violence or IPV today. To be clear, we have taken care not to include anything graphic, but it may not be suitable for sensitive listeners. If you or someone you know needs help, you are not alone. The National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-7233. This resource and others are posted on our website, radioproject.org. Okay. Now to our interview with filmmakers, Natalie Patillo and Daniel Nelson. Yes. So good to see you guys. And thank you so much for making the time to sit and talk with me today. I'm really excited to talk about your, to talk about your film.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. It's a pleasure. I just was able to watch it, um, last week and, um, when I was watching the film something that struck me was that it starts out with Kim Dadu Brown and she's sort of the the kind of matriarch in the film it seems like. I mean, she has she's on the other side of a prison sentence and she has gone back essentially with her advocacy work to say I don't want this to happen to anyone else. How did you all get involved with Kim?
1: That's a great question. So back in 2015 Um, I was working on my master's project at Columbia and, um, I knew that I wanted it to be about domestic violence. Um, I had my own personal history and then, um, my sister was killed back in 2010 by her abuser. So those two, um, very personal experience kind of, Uh, you know, were very formative to me as to why I wanted to pick domestic violence as an issue to cover. And that was pre me too. So I didn't see a lot of like very nuanced and sensitive coverage. And so I told a professor at the DART Center for Trauma Journalism uh, about my personal history and sort of my drive. And he was like, have you ever considered covering the issue of women or survivors who are criminalized for fighting back or even being coerced by their abuser to commit a crime. And like, I couldn't, my mind couldn't, like most people, I think, who aren't familiar with um, criminalized survival, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I was like, wait, like we're putting women and survivors in, in prison for fighting for their own lives um, when I had had that experience of my sister being killed. Because those, to me, I was like, it's very clear that's what would have happened to the women had they not fought back. In
2: 1991, Kim was in a car with her abuser when he physically attacked her, threatening her life. She reached below her seat where she knew he kept a gun. She shot him to save her own life. Tanisha and Nikki, the other women in the film, were also charged for killing their abusers in a struggle to survive.
1: So I was just reaching out to organizations that worked with survivors who had been criminalized. And eventually one of the organizations that I reached out to put me in touch with Kim. Um, And yeah, it was a phone call. Um, She was... I like in a parking lot somewhere, and I was doing laundry in the basement of my apartment building. And she asked me those questions, like on the first call, like, why do you want to do this? And that's when I shared the personal history part, and that I just wanted to give uh, the issue, the topic, uh, its due diligence. And when I started building trust with Kim and learning more about her story of, you know, fighting back against her abusive boyfriend. I I just kept wanting to uncover what went wrong.
2: Hey, it's Amy again. I just want to jump in to give some context. First, in the United States, one in four women and one in nine men are victims of intimate partner violence. COVID lockdowns made this so much worse. But what happens to victims when they fight back? A lot of times they're charged with violent crimes. IPV survivors are usually charged for these four things—physically defending themselves, failing to protect their children from abusive spouses, they're also charged for crimes they committed under coercion from abusers, and if they're undocumented, survivors are sometimes reported to immigration enforcement— A convergence of racist systems disproportionately criminalizes black and brown survivors. And sometimes the legal system doesn't even acknowledge that IPV exists in queer relationships. Go to our website, radioproject.org, for more information. Okay, now we're going to go back to our interview with Natalie Patillo and Daniel Nelson. They made a documentary film, And So I Stayed. The protagonist, Kim Dadu Brown, helped write a bill that would take a history of domestic abuse into account when a judge sentences a criminalized survivor. The film documents Kim's work on the bill.
1: I mean, you know, in the film, you see she's just this incredible person, just like this compassionate powerhouse of of a person who um, has been through so much adversity and, like you said, used that as, uh, you know, use her pain for purpose and um, work towards getting this bill to become a law so that other um, survivors wouldn't have to spend years and years in prison for simply surviving. The fact that she trusted me was kind of, I'm so grateful for to this day because I was just this grad student. Like I couldn't promise her that this was going to be in the New Yorker or the New York times or, you know, some big article that like I was, you know, hoping would get published. I, she trusted me. I think a a lot of it had to do with when she asked me point blank, like, why do you want to cover this story? Why do you want to cover my
2: story? And I, I shared a little bit of my personal experience. Yeah. So building trust that way. And then Daniel, how did you get involved?
0: Yeah. So, um, Natalie and I went to school together at Columbia and she had let me read a version of her written master's thesis about Kim. And I just remember reading it and being so blown away, um, by not just the story and Natalie's writing, but just Kim as a person and how compelling she was. And so I approached Natalie and I asked her if she had any interest in turning the written version of her story into a documentary. Um, and <laughs> I don't think we knew what that meant necessarily at the time, all those years ago. Um, but Natalie just said, well, let me talk to Kim. Let me see what she thinks. Um, and if she's on board, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. And so uh, she talked to Kim and Kim was on board and, and, and that was, yes, yeah, about six years ago. And and here we are now with the documentary.
2: And here we are now. And I was wondering if one of you could set up a clip that I've pulled of Kim um, trying to gather signatures for the DVSJA at the Women's
0: March in New York. Yeah,
1: the Women's March. That was...
0: I think that was January 2018.
1: 2018. So... Um, Yeah, we just followed Kim, who was gathering signatures. What a prime time, right? When people are all like fired up, ready to go. We want change. These issues matter to us. And she used that opportunity as a time to be like, do you know that women and survivors are being incarcerated for fighting for their lives? And you know, uh, there's some beautiful moments, especially of her just looking so happy and free and just um, it was really special to watch. Hi, excuse me. I'm trying to get signatures for the DVSJA. It's a bill we're trying to get passed. It's for domestic violence survivors to not be re-victimized by the criminal justice system. Bills it's, it's called the DVSJA, the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act, and what it is is a bill we're trying to get passed in New York State that would give judges and DAs discretionary power when sentencing a woman convicted of a domestic violence crime. And this bill will give judges and DAs—kind of force them to take notice that there is such thing as domestic violence. I've been working on this for eight years, and I just don't want any other woman to spend over half her life in prison for defending
2: herself.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I mean, there were so many little moments during that that day that, that really did a great job of just establishing who Kim is as a person. I mean, she is very passionate and really just has no fear when it comes to talking about this.
2: Yeah, that moment sets up who Kim is as a person, and it also sets up what the DVSJA is essentially. It gives you kind of an overview because she's explaining it to the folks in the crowd, right? Um, can you talk about the DVSJA? Sure. Yes. What is it? So it
1: is New York's Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act. It's a law that gives judges the discretion to like take into consideration that intimate partner violence was a uh, quote unquote significant contributing factor to the crime. So um, there are two ways the law can work. It could work at trial when you're being sentenced and you can um, ask for a DVSJA hearing um, and the judge will decide whether or not uh, they think the person is eligible. And it can also be Used, I guess, retroactively as well for folks who are currently incarcerated. You know, Kim will tell you, and even other experts were not very um, optimistic about it ever becoming a law. Like, they still fought for it. I mean, this was 10 years in the making. This uh, took a very long time. A lot of legislation does, but this, you know, it's wonderful, it's a great tool it's not like super ultra progressive. It, it, it still, um, criminalizes the survivor or acts as something that, you know, like has the notion that they
2: should serve some amount of time. You're still playing ball with the criminal justice system as it exists.
1: Exactly. So it's kind of, you know, like they always say, it was like, this is a get out of jail free card. And it's like, uh, what, what card is that? Uh, I don't know. So it, it, it's um, it's an incredible tool. We've seen it work. Um, we've seen it not work and create just utter devastation. I think there were times where we were filming, right? And we we're like, what are we? What are we doing? Like we're following. Like it was incredible to follow Kim and just see her pure resilience and like steadfast um, hope that maybe even if she doubted it a lot that it could happen um, it was incredible to document that but you know we were just like where is this gonna go
0: none of us really thought that this bill would ever get signed into law and and then something really great happened in 2018 with the midterms and and the New York state Senate went from Republican to Democrat for the first time in a really long time and so I think because of that they were able to push, through a lot of this kind of legislation um, and so a year after that, yeah in 2019, they were finally able to to sign this bill into law and um, we kind of thought that at the time like we finally like have an ending to this film and and you know advocacy works and 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 all that and and I think Natalie was, a huge champion of just we, we need to follow this up. We need to see what happens next. You know, like we need to see how this how this law is going to be implemented because the precedent is being set right now. And it's still being set even now in 2023. Um, and so we we decided to sort of stay on and find other uh, survivors who were maybe seeking uh, relief from this new law, resentencing. Is there anyone that's now going to use this at the trial phase? And so that's that's kind of how we pivoted and, and incorporated the stories of, of uh, Nikki and Tanisha.
1: You're listening to Making Contact, just jumping in here to remind you to visit us online if you like today's show or want to leave us a comment. We have more information at radioproject.org. And now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Amy Gastelum. Today, we are talking to Natalie Patillo and Daniel Nelson, creators of the documentary film, And So I Stayed. It tells the story of three women incarcerated for fighting back against their abusers. We've learned a little bit about Kim Dadu Brown's story. And in the second half, we're going to hear about the other women in the film, Tanisha Davis and Nicole Nikki Adamondo
1: the beautiful thing about
2: both Nikki and Tanisha is
1: that, um, Kim was already in contact with Tanisha through letter writing, and she was already in contact with, uh, Nikki's family members. So, um, Kim, you know, kind of gave them a sense of what our values were and what we were about. And, um, I think obviously that helped so much, um, to have someone like Kim, Uh, speak on our behalf as uh, filmmakers who are not out to make a true crime. We're out to tell this story in a way that uh, it deserves to be told. Um, And yeah, you know, uh, damn, it's crazy to look back on all of that.
2: Tanisha was serving a 14-year sentence when the DVSJA became a New York State law in 2019. Tanisha's lawyers asked Natalie and Daniel if they could use their footage of interviews of Tanisha's family. They hoped that it would give the judge in her appeal a sense of who Tanisha was. So Natalie and Daniel put together a short film for them.
1: We really didn't know what we were doing. We are just hoping to help. And um, we get a call from her lawyer, uh, a very excited call, like four FaceTimes. And we learned that, You know, the judge watched the video and, like, they want to
2: release her under the DVSJA. After eight years in prison, Tanisha was released for time served. She was the first domestic violence survivor to be resentenced under the DVSJA in her county.
1: So it was kind of wild. Like, we didn't really know what our ultimate film would look like. We just wanted to keep to our North Star, which was to, like,
2: help free survivors who are unjustly incarcerated. You know, you guys were talking about the way that Tanisha and Kim and Nicole are sort of linked together. And I was really struck by one particular scene in the film where Kim actually goes when Tanisha is released from prison. So can can one of you maybe just set up that scene for us? I think
1: we were all running very high and couldn't believe on emotions. Like we couldn't believe, you know, like this person that we knew was finally going to be able to reunite with her son and her mom and her sister and her community. And the sun was shining so brightly. Uh, so the scene is super bright um, aesthetically, but it was freezing that day. Um, and we were like, waited forever. And just, like, I will never forget uh, the moment that, you know, she walked out.
2: Come oh, on, come on. I see somebody staring
0: there. there she is. I thought that was her. <laughs> Tell me about seeing
2: Nikki, please. Nikki? Oh, she cried. She was so, like, happy for me. But I'm definitely going to try to dig whatever I can. What did she she say to you? She just, she want to come home, right? We're going to work on that. Yes, I told her, I said, I'm not giving up on her.
1: It was kind of incredible that, you know, Tanisha, And Kim have that moment at the end where they talk about Nikki and you see how it all ties together.
2: Well, I was gonna tell you that when I was watching it and I realized in that moment, Kim is there, Tanisha is there, she's just been released from prison and Kim turns to Tanisha and is like, how's Nikki? And I'm like, boom, oh my God, Tanisha and Nikki were in prison together. They knew each other there and they knew each other's cases. I, it was just a hugely impactful moment in the film for me watching um, and Nikki is still in prison, right Yeah it's yeah it's
1: yeah it, she is she is um, the the fact that the judge didn't think she was eligible right to be considered under this law that had been passed was, Heartbreaking doesn't even capture that, right? Like it was kind of wild to see that despite truly mountains of evidence, I, I know, cause I printed it all out and it is mountains. It's undeniable um, that the abuse was a significant contributing factor um, to the quote unquote crime. And Uh, You know, even processing with Kim sometimes, you know, she's like, "I feel like I failed Nikki." I'm like, "No, Kim, you you didn't fail her. That's the legal system did, Uh, the bigger system did." Um, And you know, seeing her separated from her kids, learning about other survivors who are in similar situations, it's really hard to
2: process. In the film, Nikki's sister holds a candlelight vigil outside of Bedford Hills Prison to raise awareness about criminalized survival. and Nikki's case, Natalie and Daniel filmed it. I am standing
1: here as someone who has been deeply affected by this issue. I am the one who has had to pick up the pieces for our family, who is caring for her two young children who have been traumatized. First by the domestic violence they witnessed in their home, and then further by the sudden loss of both of their parents overnight. They are both so innately in tune with their mother, as children with strong maternal bonds often are, and all of Nikki's fear and anxiety was and continues to be felt through them. They are the ones who are hurt most from the separation. Nikki is not the only woman in this building behind us or in this country who have survived horrific abuse and are now criminalized in a system that can often mirror the coercive control of an abuser. Thank you for using your voices to speak for those women who are silenced, for using your power to join in collective action. Thank you for being here for Nikki.
2: Nikki is still in prison, but in 2021, her lawyers used the DVSJA in an appeal. Her 19-year sentence was reduced to seven and a half. Her family and supporters are expecting her to be released in 2024. What's the impact been of the DVSJA, if you guys had to sum it up some kind of way? Like, is this, are there sentencing laws like this in other states? Like, what does it really do? I hear you saying you're still playing ball with a with messed up criminal justice system. So it's not like, A golden ticket. It's not the solution. But if you had to sum up what the impact has been, what would you say?
1: So far, you know, on at least the resentencing for folks who are currently incarcerated, um, as opposed to using it at trial, we've seen some incredible things. We really have. We've seen some people who were released under the DVSJA that spent over 20 years in prison, like all of their adult life. It's hard to, I think, because the data is. Mm, they had to catch up because there wasn't any data. Um, the Survivors Justice Project, uh, which is housed in Brooklyn Law School, uh, Kate Mogulescu is a lawyer uh, there who we've worked with and been in touch with over the years. Just seeing her take, like, her and so many other legal teams, like, take um, really important risks uh, with just. Putting um, these applications together, uh, you know, really taking a trauma-informed, sensitive approach to these cases, I think, is very healing to the survivors in a way where the legal system just does not allow for that. Um, In Tanisha's, like, interview that we did only for the purpose of that um, application, she said, the DVSJA is a chance for us to tell our story. And I think that, to me, sums up the impact. It's a way out, potentially, but it's a way to be heard and seen and hopefully
2: believed. Okay, so New York Survivors Justice Project published a report in April this year. It's basically a legislative blueprint for other states to follow if they want to make something like the DVSJA. The report says that so far... 40 people have used the DVSJA to get sentencing relief through appeals. 80% are people of color. Some other states considering similar bills are Louisiana, Minnesota, Oklahoma, and Oregon. Well, tell me, tell me this. What's next for the film? How can people be involved? Tell me about the Impact campaign. Yeah, oh man,
1: Impact Campaign. So we released in 2021. Since then, we've been hitting the ground running with a lot of screenings in uh, various communities. Our, our goal right now is to get the film inside of prisons just so that survivors on the inside know that people are working to support you know, their freedom and to validate their experiences. Um, and so our hope is that, you know, People in states that don't have something pending like the DVSJA, that it sort of ignites them to put together some sort of advocacy at the grassroots level and maybe, you know, spearhead something like the DVSJA in their own state. And yeah, like if you're listening and you're not sure whether your community has something like the DVSJA, Get in touch with the public defender's office. They probably know exactly what you're talking about in terms of, you know, if you ask, do we put survivors in prison for uh, fighting back or for being coerced by their abuser to commit a crime? I'm sure the public defender would be able to tell you what is available legally in terms of relief for folks. And, And maybe there can be a conversation had with other community members working with incarcerated folks on what they need to feel supported.
2: Thank you both so much and um uh, for, for your time and for sharing your experience with me and for sharing the film with all of us. Um, is there anything else that you think that I should know or that our listeners should know? We have a take action
1: section on our website. So if they wanted to, you know, know more about how they could help the survivors, there's a whole list of ways Awesome. All right, y'all.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having yeah, us.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, Amy. All righty. Take care. I'm Amy Gastelum. You've been listening to Making Contact. If you want to know more about the film or about Criminalized Survival, You can go to our website, radioproject.org. Until next week.